I am so grateful I get to see the church news to know what all I'm supposed to be doing in March. <laughs> Let me just say a word about Saturday night for the couples. Diane and I do a thing every year um, in North America called Executive Couples Coaching Conference. And for four days, we take uh, couples away to a resort and um, really rework their life and marriage. That's where we got started doing the questions couples don't ask. We're now up to 40 questions couples don't ask. We're not going to give you all 40 next week. But one of the things we do when we structure this is uh, none of the wives can sign up. The men have to sign up. And we, uh, because it's uh, business exec people, and uh, we say, look, we don't want any guy there going, ah, my wife made me, came, made me come. So we just say to the guys, you, you have to sign up. If your wife calls, she, she doesn't get to come. Uh, you have to call, you have to sign up. It's a gift you're giving to her. So I'd like to do that for Saturday night. Men, be men. Sign up and come. Or we have your address. <laughs> we, will, we will find you. I'm going to talk about reconnecting with God today. More than 20 years ago, I started a campaign with a slogan saying, Just Say No. Nobody knew when it got started that this thing would last for decades and spread around the world. Talked to the young adults here and said, you, you guys know about this thing? Yeah, just say no. When it started, it was just say no to drugs. Through the era of AIDS emerging around the world, it's, they began to add on to that, just say no to unsafe sex, however you define unsafe. Also began to expand and people were using it to say, say no to bad choices of all sorts, all the negative life choices. But as someone who works with emerging young leaders around the world, we've discovered something. That in the last uh, several decades of using this, we now have um, generations emerging who are very gifted at knowing what to say no to, but aren't quite sure what to say yes to. As a matter of fact, the research is overwhelming that the people who are now in their 20s around the world define their lives more by what they don't want than what they do want. And we have young leaders, we say to them all the time, tell us what you want your life to be like. And the, the first three to five statements are what they don't want. And so I want to turn this around this morning. Instead of just say no, I'm going to ask you to just say yes. Yes to several things. Just say yes to life change. It's the series we're in. Just say yes. Say yes to those risks of faith. Some of us put faith sort of in a mode of we do it on Sundays or when there's other, some other religious activity we're doing. But there are dares of faith that come to us where throughout the week, God would literally like to say, come on, jump in, do this one. And some of us who sit here this morning negotiate and analyze that thing until the moment's passed. And finally we go, I, I probably should have done that. And the Spirit of God's going, yeah, it's too late now. Come on. So begin to say yes to those risks of faith, those dares that come to you. Say yes to the next level of personal and spiritual development in your life. Simply say yes to God. I want to give you some background to Psalm 51. Anytime you're working with the Psalms, it's important to know where David was in his life and what he was looking at, or one of the other psalmists. The background of Psalm 51 
is this is a psalm of David. It's a time right after his uh, affair with Bathsheba. Now, we're not going to spend much time on the affair with Bathsheba because it has been great material throughout the centuries for, for uh, screenwriters and authors. Endless heaps, if you will, of, of uh, books and movies and uh, literature has been given to this. We're not going to spend much time on it. But to realize that it comes as a response to that event with Bathsheba. Background is this psalm is written as a response to the prophet Nathan, who had to come to the king and say, come on, let me tell you a story. It's time for you to come back, admit what you've done, and reconnect with God and become the leader of this nation that God wants you to be. So it's a time to come back and reestablish the covenant with God and to simply reconnect with God. So today, whether for you this is like a first-time connection with God, you're a seeker on the journey, you're here because somebody invited you, you've been here a few times and are going, why do I keep coming back to this place? I find myself strangely drawn here. Emphasis on strangely. <laughs> or whether you started this process a long time ago and you sort of got off the track. And today is a day to come back and get on track again. I'm going to ask you today to reconnect with God by simply saying yes to Him. Psalm 51 is a reflective psalm. So I'm going to ask you to just do that, to reflect as we go through it. And figure out what it looks like for you to connect or reconnect with God. Let's look at these first few verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. For I know my iniquities. No, wash away my, all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. One of the, I want to give you several sort of snapshots. Words from the text to paint pictures of what David's saying to God. Because don't just read these as words. This is his life story. So I want to set his life story with pictures for you in the first part of the psalm. The first one is God's loving kindness. Now, sometimes in church, we just sort of reduce God to, if you will, just this loving God. Everything's about God being loving. It's, it's as if he's sort of weak, and he's just sort of God's the great lover, and it's up to you if you want to love him back. That's not what David's talking about here. The word loving kindness is a fascinating word. It is... Most uh, scholars would say the strongest word in all of the Hebrew language. It's such a strong word that God literally says, David, I want to enter into a covenant with you. I am going to give you all of who I am. I am the great God of the universe. The creator, designer, master of all of the universe. And I am giving myself to you. And in return, you know what I want, David? I just want you. I don't want anything else. I just want you. The word is so strong, scholars tell us, that that commitment that God makes when he enters into covenant with David is so strong that you can honestly say God is obligating himself to David. Now, for any of you who are here and at some point in your life have lacked security, boy, this is your message. 
Because this amazing creator God of the universe is saying to you, not only do I want you, but in return, I'm giving you all of who I am. And one more, I'm not leaving. Folks, get the picture. This is not just the kind, loving God who says, come on, love me back. And I'm offering you the best, the strongest of all of who I am. And I want you. And in return, I'm giving you all of who I am. And I'm not about to leave you ever. It's a while. That's what David is talking about in Psalm 1. Capture that. Now, built into this loving kindness is a concept of covenant. Covenant is not a word that we use much these days. Probably the only thing we refer to covenant would be a marriage covenant, which doesn't do it justice because, as you know, in Australia, although people keep taking marriage covenants, people keep breaking marriage covenants. I want you to understand the great God of the universe, your Father in heaven, is the great covenant maker of history, And we as humans are the great covenant breakers of history. Which is how we're so not like him. But why his strength and all he offers is so essential. Now, God enters into covenants in the Old Testament with nations, with groups of people, and with individuals. Now, by you giving your life to Jesus Christ, you enter into a covenant with God. But I need to clarify a couple things. When an individual identifies in their relationship with God, a covenant, um, built into a covenant, there's always a stronger party and a weaker party. When you enter into a covenant with God, you are always the weaker party. Let's, let's just make this clear. And I have to clarify this because there are people, some of you actually sitting here have tried this before. You have said to God, no thanks, no, I'm not going to do that. It's as if the servant, the slave, gets to say to the master, yeah, it's a bad day for me. Do it yourself, big boy. In the history of slavery, the slave never gets to say to the master, I don't want to. Do it yourself. Never gets to happen. When you enter into covenant with God, you never get to say no to him. Please capture that. Because he's obligated himself to you. You have both the privilege and the responsibility of saying yes to him at every turn. Just say yes to him. That's built into this concept of loving kindness. Also here, notice the words David uses. Blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquities, I know my sins. Well, the first few times I read this, I just wanted to yell at David. I say, come on, David, you're using fancy words. Transgressions, iniquities. No, no, no. Let's get it really straight. Dave, buddy, you screwed up. Big. Big. Like, it doesn't get much worse. Take somebody else's uh, spouse, adultery, have the husband killed, child dies because of this. There's all sorts of things happen. Like, don't, don't go soft on this, Dave, and say, oh, I have transgressions. I have iniquities. No, it's bigger than that. I said instead of yelling, David, I should probably take a look at the text and see what it actually says. The word iniquity is an interesting word. The word iniquity means taking something good and healthy and right. Good and healthy and right. And have it shift ever so subtly. 
to become unhealthy and improper and wrong. You, you have this great body of water, just, just a short distance from here. Have fun on it. Enjoy it. Boat on it. Do whatever. But pollute the water. That's iniquity. It's when love turns to control. It's when attraction turns to lust. It's when something good turns to abuse. We've got endless numbers of them in our lives. That's the word iniquity. See, David was a passionate man. David loved his wives, all of them, passionately. Didn't keep him from taking somebody else's. You see, those iniquities are the subtle things that creep into your life that take something good, and the enemy of your soul uses them to just shift them ever so subtly to trip you up. Now, there's one more part of reconnecting with God in this first half of the psalm. Verses 4 through 7. David says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight, so that you're proved right when you speak and just when you judge. Verse 6. Surely you desire truth in, your innermost, in the innermost parts. Teach me wisdom in my inmost places. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Now, David doesn't use the word, but what he's actually asking for is, God, can I finally be a man of integrity? I want the outward expression of who I am, the great king of the, the, uh, the people of God in the world. Can I be the public person and also the private person that matches? That's integrity. So that there's not this public image in a private reality that don't match. He says, I want them to match. Earlier in one of the Psalms, Psalm 26.1, David sounding like a prophet of old. You can picture him. He's probably standing up on a bit of an elevation, wind blowing in his hair and his beard. Spiritual men like that always have beards. And in Psalm 26.1, he says, Vindicate me, O God, for I have walked in my integrity. Every then go, time out, Dave, time out. David, I, I, don't, I don't want to, like, be a downer here, but, you know, I, I'm not sure, David, you should be the national spokesperson for integrity. David, I don't know. I was just thinking about this. Does the name, mm, I don't know, Bathsheba mean anything to you? Does the name Uriah mean anything to you? Dave, let's play one more game. It's like you're going into uni again. You know, you have to take those assessment tests to figure out, like, what you know and don't know. And they give you word associations. Which word doesn't match? David? Bathsheba, Uriah, integrity. Dave, which word does not fit here? <laughs> Come on, work with me, Dave. Which one doesn't fit? But you see, David knew something that either we've never been taught or we have forgotten. That to be a person of integrity doesn't mean you've never messed up. To be a person of integrity means you deal honestly, honestly with all of your mess-ups. You own them. David's are public. He had to. Most of ours are private. And we keep hiding. Hiding from them. It's almost easier if they're public. We can't hide anymore. There's one more part before we leave this. And this is this warning. In his book, Inside Out,
Larry Crabb says that the essence of sin is self-protection. To go to the Garden of Eden. When, when God came looking for Adam and Eve, what did they do? They hid. They hid. In hiding, you see, we hide from one another. They hid from each other, and they ultimately hid from God. If you want to be a person of integrity, you don't hide. You open your life to God and say yes to Him. That's the first half of Psalm 51. The second half, verses 10 through 19, is almost the same theme, subtly different change. Now, uh, because I'm professor of communication, therefore professor of preaching where I teach, uh, throughout history, at least for the last more than 150 years, we've been used to sermons with three points. The classic is three points in a poem. <laughs> the English started that. Three points in a poem. Now, I, I have listened to endless numbers of sermons from the Psalms with three points. The Psalms never have three points. They usually have two. God, I feel really bad. At the end, okay, now I feel a little better. <laughs> Basically, you can summarize every Psalm that way. This one, this one is just one point. God, I need to reconnect with you. The first point, the first part of it is that. I need to reconnect. The second part is, God, help me with being willing to reconnect. So this is just a one-point sermon, which is always preferred to a pointless sermon. <laughs> so one point. Second half of the passage is the same as the first. Let's reconnect with God. Verses 10 through 12. If you don't know this passage, you still have probably, if you've been around church much, you know this psalm because we've sung the psalm. Created me a clean heart. Oh, oh God. <clears throat> we always do the, oh, oh God. As if it's like, oh, God. I'm not sure the uh, original authors thought that was how it should be sung, but it's how it's usually sung. Or maybe I just sing it that way. Forgive me if it's just me. David makes here six one-line requests. In this grammatical form, it's called six one-line colas. They're like imperative, passion requests. So I just simply want to say, notice these six one-line requests and how passionate they are. Six one-liners. So I want to say to you, be careful what you ask for, because God responds. Here's what David says. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence, or don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and finally sustain me with the willing spirit. Six one-line requests. Now, from the very beginning when I've started here, I've talked to you about the parts you're responsible for in this life change process and the parts God's responsible for. Notice with David's request here to God. Notice the parts that he's expecting God to take care of and the parts he's going to take care of. It's crucial. These first five are exclusively about God. I'm going, David, wait. You're the one who messed up. God kept his end of the deal. You're the one who broke your side of the covenant. But because, remember, David knew how great a God this is. He can go back to God. He doesn't have to go making these big pledges. God, I'll do this and I'll be this. And if you'll just restore me, I'll become this. He does none of that. 
He goes back to God and he said, God, if I'm going to finally do this right, here's what I need from you. Five things up front I need from you if I'm ever going to do this right. The sixth one is actually something he does in this. Will you give me a willing spirit to sustain me? Look at what he's asking for. He said, God, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. At this point, I am the king of one of the greatest countries right now alive. And I've messed up. And I don't have the strength to pull it off. And as good as I am, I have failed again and again. So God, here's what I'm asking for. I want to do it right. I, I really do want to do it right. So will your Holy Spirit work with my human spirit that we can pull this off together? That's the covenant, folks. That's the covenant. You don't have to do this in your own strength. It's just you have a willing spirit so that all of the strength of God comes into you. And if you have a willing spirit, it connects. And the two of you can do this together to the ends of your life. But you've got to have the willing spirit. The openness. The lack of self-protection. The being honest about what you're really like in the true state of your soul. Because David's was so public, he had to be. What he's literally saying to God, God, I know myself and my very real ability to mess up even with the best of intentions. Stop. Is that anybody else's story? Or is that just mine? You know yourself and your very real ability to mess up even with the best of intentions. The great news is that does not make you a loser. It makes you a great candidate for faith in God. A very personal faith in God. So that the strength of His Spirit comes and works with your human spirit so that you can say yes to Him at every turn. It's a great picture of faith. What does a willing spirit look like in your life becomes one of the key questions. Because it looks different in all of us. Some of you we've already established. You're, you're really stubborn people. Go ahead and deny it if you want to. Quote people closest to you would probably pass unanimously. If you ask them. Some are far more subtle in their stubbornness. Some aren't stubborn. You're just gifted at messing up. <laughs> so what's a willing spirit look like? We, we can go clear across the board. But what's this willing spirit look like for you? Because it's not about somebody else. It's about you and your covenant with God. So let's create that willing spirit. There's a booklet by Bob Munger, called My Heart, Christ's Home. If you've never read it, you've at least heard it referred to sometime, either in a message or a book or a booklet someplace. It's the, the original image of your life being like a home. And when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, He comes into the entryway. But you never invite a guest to stand in the entryway forever. You invite them into your home. And just as your home has many rooms in it, closets, etc., you invite him to come and be a part of every one of those rooms. You don't keep private closets. You invite him in. That's the image that David is using here. See how this psalm wraps up. 
What God really wants is brokenness. Verses 16 and 17. God, you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I'd do it. People say, when I know how to do sacrifices, come on. Been a Jewish boy forever. I know how to do this thing. You don't want that. I'll do it. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Broken in a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Two weeks ago, I talked to you about how God changes people's names. I talked about Abraham, and one of the symbols of the covenant was they had to do circumcision. And as we said, I'm sure Abraham was going, God, isn't there a better alternative than this? Come on, do we have to do this one? But the imagery is God wants to do the physical symbol of what he wants to do with the heart, and that is to cut the heart and open it up. That's the imagery here that David is using. God wants a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Then notice the effectiveness of your life. The effectiveness of ministry then begins to change for you. Verses 13 to 15. Effectiveness follows. David says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be brought to you. Verse 15. Open my lips, that my mouth might declare your praise. The effectiveness of the life follows if you give God control. If you give God control. Prepared three slides as we bring this psalm to an end. One's reflective. One's got some punch. The other one asks a couple, question, or a couple questions for you to respond to. Let's do the reflections first. If you're going to rebuild the foundations of your life, where do you start? Question number one, from your perspective. Again, which part is God's and which part's yours? From your perspective, how would you like to reconnect with God in the very near future? Or if it's a first round for you, how would you like to connect with God? Tell him today. He wants to hear that from you. God, here, as I look at my life, here's what I'd like to do in connecting with you. Just my, my humble approach, but here's what I'd like. Second question of reflection. What does that willing spirit look like for you? Now, I want you to think about a time in your life when you've said yes to God. Because, come on, so many people have. I mean, the stories from World War I and II... They used to say there are no atheists in foxholes. People who are in terrible life moments often call out to God and say, God, if you'll get me through this one, I'll do this for you. Some of you as kids made commitments and vows to God. God, I'll do this or I'll be this. Some of you at various stages in your life have done that. God, if you'll just get me through this one, I'll do this for you forever. I want to take you back to those. Because I want to tell you why. In a covenant, God took those seriously. He took them seriously. The best image I can give you is you take a child and say, when I get home, I'm going to do this with you. That child expects you to do it when you get home. It doesn't matter what else has come up. It doesn't matter what else life has thrown your way. It doesn't matter how busy you are or anything else. You, you told that child you would do that. They expect it to happen. When you have said to God, God, I'll... I'll do this for you for the rest of my life. He takes you seriously. It's how the covenant works. 
You see, that's why God is the great covenant maker of the universe, and we are the great covenant breakers of history. So what have you said yes to God about? And then, has giving control to God become a life pattern for you? Or is it one that you struggle with? There are some of you, it's no struggle. Your yes is yes and your no is no. You've said yes to God, you keep it. That's just how it is, it's a matter of fact. Some of you, it was yes yesterday, but you're not sure today. That's how it is. I want to leave you with one big image of this psalm. There's the warrior image. I love the warrior image. Remember, David was one of the most noted warrior kings in the history of Israel. Therefore, in history, a warrior king. Where other kings were, um, were safely tucked away in a, a castle, some sort of elaborate place to live. David was out leading people into battle. He was the warrior king. And as the warrior king, he was also a worshiper, which is an interesting combination. So when he writes in so many of these psalms, he talks about raising your hands or raising holy hands to God. Kind of, kind of weird. What, what's that mean? I want you to picture in your mind, get a clear picture of armor. Now, if you go to the image in your mind's medieval armor, fine. David's was more ancient than that. But picture armor. Because characteristic of all of armor is something called the breastplate. Something that protects the heart. There is no way when you're going after a warrior you can get their heart straight on. Anything that comes straight on, there's a breastplate that protects that. They know it's where there's some of the most vulnerability. And so they have something tough to protect the heart. And so when David talks about worshiping God, he talks about how to bring the heart to God. Just about two years ago, I was speaking in a large pastor's conference. There were hundreds of pastors there. In the midst of this, I paused and I said, let's just have a private conversation. Me with a couple hundred of you. I said, how many of you... When you worship, don't raise your hands. There, there were some people who finally raised one hand. I said, for those of you who raise your hands in worship, why do you do that? It was, it was interesting to listen to ministers voice this. A, a number of them said, it's a way to give honor to God. It's an expression of my heart and praise to Him. I listened for a while. Not, not a lot of insight. A few of them, actually many of them, began to say, it's about surrender. I'm going, okay, but look, this is, this is the warrior king. And besides, if, I, if I'm talking to Western Australian men, talking about surrender, that, that seems weak. It's kind of wimpy. It's not you guys. It's like you're giving up. I'm sure there's imagery of you're giving up to God, but that's not the imagery. See, we raise our hands in worship because it's the only way when a warrior with armor it's the only way that God can get to the heart. When the hands are up, you come up under the arm and you can capture the heart. And so David, as the great warrior king, the strongest in his day, came to his God and said, God, I am willingly, willingly exposing my softest sides to you. 
Because I know it's the only way you can reach in and get my heart. And I want my heart to be yours. That's the imagery. When I ask people why they didn't raise their hands, the most common response is, look, I don't want other people around me to think something about me. This is you and God, and you're, you think they are thinking about you? Trust me, they don't think about you nearly as much as you think they think about you. <laughs> they probably don't even notice you, and if they do, they don't care. Your God is saying to you, I want all of your strength. I want all of the best of who you are. But I want to be able to reach in and capture your heart. Because I want that. And I want to redeem it and make it the best of who you are. Don't protect it. No self-protection, no hiding, no lying. I want an openness and a willing spirit that says yes to me. That's the imagery of the warrior. Repentance is the same for communion. Weekly communion. It's about repentance, right? Most of us view repentance as leaving something behind. I want to give you a different picture today. Repentance is going toward God. It's saying yes to Him and the best of what He wants to give you. It's not just saying sorry for sin and repenting and leaving it behind. Do that. But then go to Him. Go to Him with all of your strength. Go to Him. The openness, no hiding. The openness. It's the question you have to ask at the end of this psalm. Are you willing to say yes to God and give Him control? When you came in today on your seat, there's a piece of paper. I want you to pull that out. I learned a long time ago, both as a preacher and doing doctoral work in education, that in an audience this size and this diverse, there's very different learning styles here. Some of you are emotive responders. You'd love to come and fall on your knees and wave your hands. Some of you have both gifts, hand-raising and hand-waving. Two separate gifts. Some of you are going, yeah, that's never going to happen to me. And that's okay. Some of you are more analytical and thinking. So I want you to look at three questions. Can I have all three at the same time? I want you to write out responses to God from Psalm 51. God, something I told you that I would be or do for you Help me remember. Help me remember. Write it out. Number two. Something I either want God or need Him. You decide. To either do with me or for me. See, very often in faith, we we talk about commitments to God that we're going to do for Him. You can do that if you want to. But what this psalm is saying is, why not do it with Him? Like, why not take your human spirit and so connect it to that divine Holy Spirit that you see yourself doing this together instead of just, you got to do this for God? What does that look like? Something 
that you want Him to do with you. And in one specific way, I'd like to either connect or reconnect with God. You see, not only do you have a desire for this, but so does He. The amazing, great God of the universe is saying to you this morning, I just want you. I just want you. I want you to say yes to me. For the analytical writers, write it down. For those of you who are more emotive in responding, or that it would be useful for you, you've written it down, but you, you want to seal it today. We're going to close with a song. Feel free to come and just stand across the front and say to God, I want to reconnect. I want to reconnect in a specific way, or I'm not even sure. I just want to reconnect. There'll be people here to pray with you if you want that. You can be left alone if you'd like that. As we close this service, in a moment I'm just going to ask you to stand. And let's sing back part of Psalm 51, back to God. Let's stand together, shall we?